Hi, I am Chitra. I am Madhvi. I am Jyoti. I am Suchitra. Together we are your hosts on the Edge podcast. We bring you stories and experiences from our experiments around learning, marketing and design. These are stories of people, technology and people interacting through technology. Of what we see, create and recommend. Innovation and creativity, they often ride the wave of disruption. Padmaja and Chitra are two such disruptors who are all set to find the holy grail of learning through a series of experiments. These co-founders of Adeptic Creative Labs are two intrepid souls who have harnessed their decades of experience in product management, design and marketing to carve out safe spaces for teams to experiment and apply new concepts. Listen in to my conversation with them as they share their thoughts and strong convictions on learning design and its applications. Hello everybody, I am Linda Jacob and welcome to the Edge podcast. As you very well know, Edge is all about learning and learning together. And I have two very interesting guests with me today who have been experimenting in the learning space. I have a whole host of questions to ask them, but before I do that, let me start a round of introductions. I have Padmaja and Chitra with me. I'll start with Padmaja. Padmaja, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Linda. What do you want to know about me that you don't already know? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, just for our listeners, I am a bit of a dreamer. I, you know, try to conjure things out of nowhere, uh, much to the dismay of my team. Um, (laughs) I agree to that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, my core background is in uh, computer science and physics. That's what I did my formal education in. And post that, uh, worked in a corporate uh, before uh, doing a decade or so of being a solopreneur or consultant. And finally poured all that experience into building a company called Clearly Blue. A lot of services focus in content marketing, learning, as well as design. And then about uh, two years ago, I started talking to uh, Chitra, who is also here. And uh, Chitra and I uh, initially started looking at design as a function, not just uh, product design, but uh, service design as well. And then uh, we got to talking about all the different uh, trends in learning and uh, what we felt were uh, gaps in learning. And we decided uh, to pour our knowledge and experience into building Adeptic to address those gaps. So that's where I'm at right now. Chitra, how about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Apart from the how we started Adeptic, I have a background in software product development and engineering. And after about 20 plus years of doing that, I decided I dabbled a little bit with entrepreneurship. And uh, after that, went into consulting and coaching, where I think uh, I really learned a lot about how people in the corporate world are learning what is it that you know they are looking for in terms of enhancing their ability to work better or contribute more or be of more value in the workplace and so on so like padmaja mentioned when she and i collaborated on uh, some of the projects that uh, clearly blue was working on we realized together that there was something that we could do in the space of learning for professionals and uh, 
that's how we are here today, uh, all of us together, trying to conduct experiments in the space of learning and see where we go with it. Thank you. Thank you, Chitra. You, you mentioned adult learning and Padmaja mentioned uh, working in uh, e-learning and creating a learning design, for example. So one of the questions I have to both of you is when you hear the word, word adult learning, uh, what comes to your mind and what do you think it means in today's scenario? It's not a word that I think we, any of us had heard when we were younger. Uh, my concept of learning was I learn till I get a degree and then I just apply what I've learned through my, my work experience. And unfortunately or fortunately, I've realized that that doesn't work. So what, what, do you, what do you mean really by adult learning, especially in the workplace? I think what you said is very true, Linda, and it was the same for me. So I thought that after finishing an engineering degree, I'll be able to apply all that I studied in the workplace. And it really doesn't happen directly. It happens in a host of different ways. And I think over a period of time, we realize that, we understand that. In fact, I even see youngsters today, the ones that are just getting into their first jobs. Mm. And everybody seems to be expressing that. Uh, while that can be a separate topic about how industry and academia can sort of come together and collaborate to make it more meaningful for both the workplace and the academic institution. And I think that's a topic that's being uh, worked on for many decades all over the world. But right now what's happening is there are gaps. And I think particularly people today with the rate of change of technology, with uh, the amount of churn in the environment with respect to businesses, with respect to the kind of products that are out there, and everybody competing for the consumer or the customer's mind share, there is so much chaos. And in the midst of all that, there is this constant pressure of, uh, do I know enough? Can I address customer needs with the latest and greatest technology? How will I be able to learn all that? And even if I have to apply it, how should I be doing it? So I think a lot of these questions exist out there. A lot of companies are grappling with how to make, how to give employees a continuous learning experience at work. Because people want to feel valued at work, they need to find a purpose. And, and I think learning can address a lot of that. So um, just to add to what Chitra said, adult learning in my uh, dictionary is purposeful learning. So if you look at a child, for example, right, uh, a child is, uh, you know, comes into this world knowing nothing. It's an open book. Um, they say that a child moves from animal to human the day it learns uh, how to be uh, potty trained, the day it's potty trained. Because till then the child is not even aware of any of that. And then by default you go to school, you go to college, in our country or in our milieu for example, we all oftentimes uh, pick up courses or we even pick up degrees at the behest of parents or friends and family, mm -hmm. things like that. So learning is more uh, purposeless, if I could call it that. It's very divergent. You're picking up a lot of life skills, you're picking up uh, the three hours, you're doing all of that during your school and college years. Whereas adult learning, uh, presumably, is because this adult is in a job or aspires to be in a job or wants to go to a better job. It is mostly always in the professional space. 
these adults want to pick up particular skills. So it's very purpose-driven learning. They need to fit in this learning within their work day. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be uh, very succinct. It needs to be to the point. You can't have a textbook where a case study will do. So that is the core difference between adult learning and uh, how children learn or pedagogy, the typical traditional pedagogy. And in fact, I learned the word andragogy, Padmaja, when we were working on this uh, e-learning for the social sector. And uh, that's where a lot of what Padmaja just mentioned of adult learning has to be purposeful. It has to relate to what the person is doing at work. Hmm. It should also be able to augment what this person already knows about something. While yes, you you may they may need to assimilate a brand new concept or a technology, uh, but at the same time that has to fit in the context of what they're doing at work, and that gives a lot more meaning to their learning as adults. So, if you were told to actually uh, design a learning program for adults of uh, maybe a workplace, whichever workplace it is, and uh, you were asked to deliver that program, what would be the key concepts? Or what would you keep in mind while building that program? Padmaja? Um, so there are two things I would keep in mind. One is the learner. Uh, you know, I would build the persona of the learner. What they already know, like Chitra said, and what they need to know to get that job done. So in product management 101, they teach you about... Uh, you know, jobs to be done for a user. So that context up applies exactly here also. These people have jobs to be done. And how can this piece of learning actually help them get that job done efficiently and also profitably for their employer? Mm. The second dimension is also the employer. You know, the employer and the fact that they are sponsoring this kind of, this piece of learning, they will come in with their own uh, goals uh, their own budgets, their own constraints in terms of infrastructure, in terms of delivery and all that. We have to be very mindful of that. The, I just came from a meeting this morning with a large IT services company where they told us that not all learning and you know upskilling is absolutely necessary or desirable for the employer also. They went about uh, training a lot of their mainframe uh, engineers on AIML and the end result was the company actually suffered a lot of attrition because these people just left the company. They were now upskilled. They had these brand new skills. They wanted to try it out and they left the company. So that employer will come in with lots of constraints. So we have to be mindful first of the learner and then of the sponsor of the learning. That is what we have to be mindful of in adult learning. So... In terms of adult learning, over the last few years or maybe a decade or so, right, we've been hearing an explosion in the e-learning industry with various products out there or even services out there uh, boasting that they can teach everything. Uh, Padmaj, I've heard you talk about the fact that information is out there for everybody to absorb. But we normally hear that... Uh, that these so-called MOOCs are able to get only maybe 3% completion rates, right? Or maybe 5% if you, you really scramble about, around and look for the numbers. Why do you think that is happening? Why do you think when we have the best content out there, you're giving them the best content from the best authors, from the best professors, why aren't people able to assimilate that information? And it's free, right? It's there for all of us to absorb. Why aren't we able to absorb it? 
there are many reasons why uh, but one of the prime reasons in my opinion is because we cannot stay in isolation uh, we are social animals uh, think of it this way linda uh, let's say we you, you and i went to new york public library and there's a huge room full of books right i would normally say oh okay i can spend the entire day uh, reading every book there but it doesn't happen that way the experience is more enjoyable when you and i go together when we step into the room and we pick out books and we discuss i read this did you read this that social engagement man is a social animal end of the day so any kind of learning whether it's in the classroom whether it's in a webinar whether it's in interactive sessions any kind of successful learning has only happened when you are in a cohort and self paced learning and that is what e learning excelled at uh, over the last many years self paced learning where you go through tons of videos uh, um, we ourselves have been guilty of building courses with 150 videos i have example. i have to interject and say some of those videos are really nice but you really can't see videos. them one after yeah, the you other you can't you can't right if you are doing a video based e learning course you need to have periodic interventions you need to have periodic um, sessions where the learner can actually raise their hand and ask a question that interactivity and that uh, two way uh, conversation is so imperative for effective learning and that is why i feel most moves fail so what i'd like to add here is uh, because we we talking in the context of learning for working professionals and we've talked about how it needs to have relevance to work and also i think a very critical piece is when a, when an adult learner sits through a learning session uh, whether it's via a mooc or any other means wants to know okay i everything remains only as knowledge until i'm able to take some of it and apply it back at work absolutely right uh, and uh, and i think that is one of the reasons second thing is to her point of social learning uh, personally for me when i'm when i'm learning with others while i may have gone through the course individually i do want to come back and discuss it with somebody mm-hmm. right i do may have a list of questions and this has happened to me personally multiple times when i have signed up for machine learning or data science courses online i have had to give up probably 10% through the course or maybe 15% through the course simply because i found myself being stuck how do i get unstuck i probably did try to get unstuck i spoke to a few people asked them doubts and it helped me move forward by but by that time the course had moved much too forward and i felt i was always playing catch up and that those kind of scenarios are also very common that they don't really help anybody yeah i think uh, apart from that where do these give you the opportunity to exercise your critical thinking for example what if a course was led by an instructor and at particular intervals in the course the instructor uh, or the facilitator put an intervention there and said why do you think this was happening or what do you think are alternatives as solutions to this particular problem i think that provokes a very different kind of learning within mm-hmm. the learner itself and the second thing is if it was a cohort or a group of people learning together i can very easily envision that when a question like this is planted automatically people start having conversations with each other there is dialogue happening there and 
you know, immediately one person may give a point of view, the other person may give a counter point of view. And then suddenly, even the people who are observing that whole thing, uh, you know, your mind is working in many different ways. In some ways, it's opening up. In some ways, you, you become aware that you're, you're trying to compare or evaluate. You're doing so many things. And I feel all of that is part of learning. So the community that gets formed around this cohort uh, it becomes alive with learning. Hmm. Sometimes I feel that learning, the first thing you need to learn is to how to learn. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You need to learn how to learn. And uh, a conversation that we all were having recently that you need to have the mindset to be able to absorb learning and convey and share it. You brought up HOTS, right? The one fact I felt about, you know, the MOOCs and isolated learning is you're creating or you're fostering an environment of people working and learning in isolation. But we never solve problems in isolation, do we? We have to work as a team. So it essentially means that learning, your your idea of saying that learning has to be a social learning is because you learn more when you interact and communicate with other people and you see, other, you learn to find, to understand and accept other people's perspective. I feel that's an important bit of learning. And, Absolutely. And that's a learning I don't know whether we are getting from our schools because uh, we, are, we are taught to only answer questions, right? Yeah. Or, or follow, strictly follow a syllabus. Mm. So while, while there is nothing wrong with the syllabus, you know, it, it gives you an outline, it mm. gives you guidelines, it gives you a framework and it puts some sort of bound on a particular topic and mm. I believe makes it a little easier to... Uh, dissipate the learning but at the end of the day I think what you called out as hot cylinder the higher order thinking skills I think those are really the inflection points for any learner so how do you get people to get the higher order thinking skills forget about the conceptual learning of whatever that you 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 want to be imparting how do you get people to to sort of absorb that because for me, that's very, very amorphous. It's not something you can touch or see, right? How, where do you, where do you bring that into your learning? Or do you think that's a separate thing to the technical aspect of learning? So, in my opinion, uh, hearts are actually part of the DNA of learning, no matter what kind of learning you do. And uh, what you just uh, mentioned, Linda, this uh, school-based learning, for example, right? It's actually uh, what Chitra was mentioning earlier in the day, didactical, uh, didactic learning, where there is an orator upon a dais and they're actually uh, speaking to an audience. The audience is furiously uh, writing I can, I can picture my pre-degree class, 100 <laughs> students. Yeah. Everybody, actually yeah. that is a very outmoded way of learning. Uh, it's actually built on the uh, factory learning that uh, people, when the first schools were instituted uh, during the Industrial Revolution, they made people sit in rows and we still do that to this day. I don't know why. Uh, so that is one way of learning and that is actually a very poor way of uh, engendering these thoughts. Hmm. But um, if you have multimodal learning where, you know, besides the classroom, there are discussions, uh, there are uh, peer learning groups, there are study groups, uh, where there are, uh, you know, flipped classrooms where students come up on the dais and actually uh, present something, where there is a lot of scope for debate, uh, all the different methodologies of learning, the more multimodal learning paths you introduce, 
the better off you are in actually engendering thoughts among your uh, learners. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there are now many uh, structured methods of adding thoughts as well, which Chitra can, I think, uh, talk about. Yeah, so uh, before that, I also wanted to add another point here to what you just said, Padmaja, is just flipping the statement a little bit mm -hmm. to look at it from the point of view of the facilitator. Mm -hmm. and, and I like using facilitator now more than uh, teacher or uh, instructor, you know, because to me, learning is a, is a give and take process. For a facilitator, they gauge the assimilation of learning or the engagement of the learners, I believe, through a certain energy. You know, right, when people are asking you questions and there are discussions around, you know, there is, that the class is alive, the session is alive. And uh, that aliveness is important to bring about this learning. I think it, it becomes very, very critical in the workplace because I think one of you all mentioned slightly earlier saying that why do we learn alone when all of the work that we do happens as a team? However big or small the company, however big or small the teams, any kind of work that is produced is done together. There needs to be a good degree of collaboration. There needs to be communication. There needs yeah. to be critical thinking exercised within that cohort or the team. right? Yeah. And once all of these come together, we know from our experiences that you, you, you can produce something very beautiful. And, and I think it goes to show that there is no one way of learning. There is no one right solution or wrong solution. But there are, it's just that through all these experiences, learning happens all the time. And uh, your product improves, your understanding improves. And that is actually what contributes to, to the business, to the growth of the company and so on. And uh, one thing I want to add here is social learning is not an aspiration. It's actually the reality of how we work today. Uh, so if you look at even like research, scientific research, for example, right? Those glory days when there was a single uh, Einstein or Edison or C.V. Raman, even Edison actually was backed by 200 people in his workshop. But that apart, those days are all gone. All, almost all scientific research is done by large cross-geographical, cross-country collaborative uh, teams. If you look at that James Webb uh, telescope, which is broadcasting all those fantastic images uh, recently, it is a, I think it's a three or four country consortium which launched the telescope. So if you don't have those basics like collaboration, teamwork, communication, communication you're, not, you're going to fail in such teams. Yeah. It's absolutely essential. And I think I'll go back to one point that you brought up, Linda, which was having the willingness to learn, mm -hmm. which means, you know, having an open mind. And just to take your example, Padmaja, of, you know, how, how did this team think of the idea of taking a picture that is like a grain of sand in the universe, which, you know, just happened so many thousands of years ago. Uh, just that whole picture and the concept behind it in many ways is so humbling, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's, it's how little we know and how little we are in the context of something so much larger. I think if everybody came with that mindset into learning, uh, mm -hmm. there are so many things that can happen here. The, whichever style of learning or whatever you're trying to, to impart, I feel the concept that you are imparting is just a very minuscule portion of it. 
learning will be successful only if there is a mindset change and yes. the mindset change includes the ability to perceive more so that the next time they, they encounter something new they're willing to learn um, unless that happens it's impossible yeah um, so we were just discussing uh, some blog submissions by a new author earlier today and um, the impression i came away with with this person was she's she or this person is not willing to set her tiara aside right mm-hmm. maybe you're a star in doing x that doesn't mean that yeah. you should be a star in y z and maybe you will become a star but set your tiara aside and have an open mind yeah and have an open mind that you want to learn that is so difficult i think practically it's very difficult to do actually yeah. i think that brings me to the point about the fact that see learning is about assimilating new things and uh, getting collaboration communication and all of that but there's one thing that you need is to engender curiosity yes very isn't much isn't it yeah. isn't and, it yes and and i think at least in the course of uh, working for so many years that's one that's one of the things that i have realized is that try and look at everything like as though you're reading a new book yeah. you know and you haven't read the summary you haven't read the back yeah or, or anything but you're just opening your book and reading it for the love of reading yeah. and for the curiosity okay let me at least see what this is and try it out yes, see try it's it okay if i if i think that's something that wherever you guys go and whoever you you start conversations about learning or whichever cohorts you have the idea that you should try everything out make your hands dirty doesn't matter if you don't you don't become the, the best at what what you're t- attempting to do but you are able to do it and you have the curiosity and the humbleness yeah. that is what you were mentioning right patmaja to to try out something you don't have to necessarily become the best at everything yeah and and to sort of remove the focus from the result yeah right and and yeah. and enjoy this whole process of learning yeah and in the course of that you may also need to unlearn something I think and that is a point where i see a lot of people struggle because uh, I, i and i think this has a lot to do with the way we were taught exactly. that is exactly. that you have to hold on to i am not saying that fundamental principles are not important they 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 are un- and that's why they are universal and they are principles but if we just set that aside and if we look at um, so many things that we've been taught and these have been burned into our memories i think that's where we hit a hard point where suddenly something is presented to you that is contrary to what you have learned and then you feel your whole foundation shaking yeah the fact But that you're I not think, it's yeah. that as if you're not good at something yeah. it takes away something from your own self, self. yeah so if right. we can learn to put that aside and look at everything as an as an experiment mm-hmm. and or a challenge and just a adventure if i, I may say i think the experiment and adventure has to be brought into learning yes unfortunately uh, the cold hard reality is it doesn't happen in our education system right now wherever in the world you go whether finland mm-hmm. india wherever you are taught to be a star somehow you know to get that good get that 100 out of 100 or what and particularly in india yes doesn't matter how you do it whether you attend all the classes all the labs mm-hmm. uh, submit your record books or whether you you know mug up postworlds question bank and uh, mm-hmm. you get the 100 Yeah. So that is that is that is the dichotomy we are staring at here and that is why a lot of learning fails. 
and when we're talking about learning in the workplace you know there are there are business problems at hand that need to be solved yes. uh, <clears throat> companies are making uh, genuine attempts to invest in people like like never before uh, to make sure that yeah. uh, their uh, you know employees are learning something uh, they they have uh, an invigorating environment to work in and yet the the uh, the return on that kind of investment there are some gaps yes right and uh, so how I, I think some of the questions i'd like to put out here is how can we make learning effective for working professionals what would help them learn and take that learning and apply it back at work and then say that okay this made a difference this shifted something inside of me mm. and i know that i can you know work this in many different ways and i think that ha- needs to happen continuously mm. you when you said that i remembered something chitra uh, one of the terms that we often talk about and uh, i think all of us are very very uh, passionate about is uh, safe spaces right do you guys want to talk a bit about what you mean when you say safe spaces for learning because i personally feel it's very important i've seen the young colleagues in our team too when you give them a, a safe space to to work i've seen that they bring out much more than you expect from them right so i'd like to hear a bit more about that in this day and age when everyone is talking about inclusivity it also means that you know you provide this kind of environment where people can freely ask questions they are not afraid of being judged for asking a question or uh, challenging somebody else's point of view or uh, saying that hey i don't know anything about this but i am here to learn you know things like that which are very empowering which give you a lot of agency to learn and when you do that to yourself you've just opened your your mind and and we really want to nurture and foster those kind of spaces when people are learning for however much that duration is whether it's 4 weeks whether it's 6 weeks uh, whatever it is but during that time when when you i call it unfettered learning when you're able to do that and i think then you will really find purpose in learning and you'll be able to do really well with it so uh, safe spaces also speaks to the corporate learners that chitra was alluding to um, see in the corporate setup in the world of business when you are a team member of maybe a multi million dollar project there is no safe space there is no space where you can practice and fail there will be some built in checks and balances but end of the day you are expected to be very skilled at what you do and you are expected to deliver it on time within budget and uh, within all the other constraints that the uh, project imposes on you uh, so this makes uh, picking up a new skill and applying it at work particularly hard and that is where uh, we come in uh, adeptic was built on one of the premises of adeptics uh, one of our core pillars is to provide a safe space for corporate learners uh, where they can come in they can actually pick up new skills and they can practice within a, a, a community of their peers a community consisting of catalysts and facilitators where they are allowed to actually fail learn from those failures and then go back and apply those learnings at the workplace 
so essentially a lab or a, or a sandbox where you're allowing people to blow up the lab is what you're looking for <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes i just uh, a vision of our uh, school and college chemistry lab just flashed in front of my eyes yes but yes <laughs> essentially yes. a space like that we've called it labs just harking back to what all of us have been talking about is treating learning as an adventure or an experiment mm. uh, but at the same time i think that just enabling yourself to completely open up in this uh, environment mm. right and to be and talk to each other yes thank you very much padmaja and chitra it was really enjoyable talking to both of you i hope you go out there and blow up as many labs as you could possibly do <laughs> Thank you. Boom boom. <laughs> Thank you Linda. Please subscribe to the Edge podcast on your favorite podcast channel. We are on Google, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and more. If you like this episode Please share it with your friends. If you have stories to share and want to be featured on our podcast, write to us at podcasts at adepticlabs.com.